Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Aminato, and this is Round 19, the Mexican Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton needed to finish only 7th to win the championship, which he duly did with an unremarkable 4th place in Mexico City. But he was more than 70 seconds off winner Max Verstappen at the flag, such were Mercedes' difficulties. To discuss how Hamilton won the championship despite having such a terrible race, I'm joined by Luke Smith, F1 editor at Crash.net. Luke, how are you doing? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm very good. We're in a beautiful park in Mexico City on a lovely day. The morning after the day before, as I think they say for certain things. Never really been clear why they say that, <laughs> but it's certainly the situation we find ourselves in. And after a, a week of something of a holding pattern for Formula One, as far as the championship's concerned, Lewis Hamilton is finally a five-time title winner. Yes, and I think it's something that has been on the cards for a long, long time. I think the writing's been on the wall for a few races now. But uh, yeah, finally, we've got our sec- well, third, sorry, five-time world mm-hmm. champion F1 history and uh, yeah it's a real remarkable achievement Uh, but he managed it in rather unremarkable circumstances must be said yeah it's if you wanted to define Lewis Hamilton's season it was certainly not this race he's had far more representative Grand Prix we'll talk a little bit about exactly why Mercedes struggled so much in a moment but just to to give Hamilton I suppose he's due winning this title We've seen a little bit of a different side. I feel like we say this every time he wins the championship, but a little bit of a different side of him in the fact that he's really adopted what has been a really quite effective race-by-race approach. And we sort of saw that after he won the title where he still seemed focused on winning the Brazilian Grand Prix after this. Yeah, and it's something that I think has served him very well this year. And I think uh, I think away from the intra-team battle he had at Mercedes before with Nico Rosberg, where it was sort of this very, very toxic rivalry that I think consumed everything at the team, he's now been able to just focus on Vettel and just focus on Ferrari. And that's... Uh, that's allowed them to uh, yeah, move into this sort of race-by-race uh, basis and way of thinking, and it's worked really well for him. And yeah, I mean, he was asked after the race, um, you've just won your fifth World Championship, what are you going to do to celebrate? And he said, I just want to go to sleep. Like, I just want to rest <laughs> up and see my dogs. And uh, yeah, then uh, then he said, but on to the next one. Like, I want to win this Constructors' Championship mm-hmm. and realise why Mercedes were so slow in Mexico, which is mm-hmm. uh, something they need to get to the bottom of, definitely. Yeah, and this is perhaps the most interesting part of this Grand Prix, because in the United States, we had an unusual race. Ferrari had become resurgent after discovering a, a variety of botched upgrades, took them off the car, was suddenly much faster. And Mercedes was off the pace, but that was fairly easy to ride off as saying, well, there was no practice on Friday. Ferrari clearly improved, and they revealed that there was a, a major setup problem after making some changes on Sunday morning. So it was easy to sort of disregard that. But we arrived in Mexico City. Nothing unusual about the weekend other than the fact that Mexico City is a bit of a unique environment. Of course, we'll talk about the altitude momentarily, <laughs> but... This was really quite a shocking weekend for Mercedes, probably the worst of their season. Yeah, I know, definitely the worst of their season, I think. It was uh, a weekend that really exposed some of the big weaknesses with the W09 car, which for the most part this season has been very, very strong. Um, we saw flashes of uh, of, it, of its weaknesses on the soft compounds uh, at points through the year, but for the most part, it's really be, it's got on top of those, we thought, towards the end of the season. But uh, now it's uh, it seems like that old issue is back again, and Mercedes really, really struggled for pace all weekend uh, uh, over the long run. Runs uh, qualifying, they managed to work something out with the engine modes to get back in contention, get Lewis Hamilton third on the grid. Um, but uh, that was about as good as it got for the team, really. After that, then in the race, they were just completely off the pace. And uh, I think the probably the big standout stat is that uh, after the first round of pit stops, uh, Valtteri Bottas he was 15 seconds ahead of Kimi Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. So that seemed to be the position was his, like 15 seconds, a lot to make up. And Kimi had caught him up by the end of uh, Valtteri's stint on those set of tires. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of the race 
Chris Bottas was a lap down on the race winner. So it was, uh, yeah, quite remarkable to see the, the dip in pace from Mercedes. It's going to be interesting to see over the last two rounds how that um, plays out, whether that is something either they repair or whether it really was something unique to Mexico City. Because as we mentioned, Mexico City is a unique race. It's definitely not the first time you'll have heard it this week, but at very high altitude, 2.2 kilometres, more than 2.2 kilometres. I'm not going to convert that defeat. You'll have to work it out for yourself <laughs> or miles. Uh, which plays havoc with these cars. That's 22% less um, air density. And of course, when cars are today all about aerodynamics, that's essentially 22% less aerodynamics. And that has all sorts of effects on cooling and tyres. Yeah, exactly. And um, Brendan Hartley explained it really, really well on Thursday. He said that even though they put the maximum downforce package they can and get the car as planted to the track as possible, putting all the bits and bobs on the car they've still actually got less downforce than Monza purely because the air is so thin and it, it just it creates so many issues so it's um, yeah it's a real challenge for all of the teams I mean all the drivers they say their cars feel very slippery and they're, they're not really in control 100% of the time but they look at the timesheets and say oh no actually we're still very quick so it's a, it's a strange conundrum that they've all got to deal with um, and uh, yeah cooling as well is a real big issue I mean we saw lots of teams saying that they had to turn their engines down or, or, or make adjustments because of, because of the cooling problems so we saw that uh, the Renault-powered teams, which traditionally wouldn't uh, be able to compete in a straight fight at a track like this with Ferrari and Mercedes, they were really, really up there. And, of course, Red Bull-Renault getting victory. Yeah, with the front row lockout and what could well have been a one-two finish had it not been for another another failure, technical retirement uh, for Daniel Ricciardo. Allied to the problems of the thinness of the air and, and exacerbating them, really, is what has become a little bit of a dilemma for Pirelli, I think, is the tyre selection for this round. The softest tyres in Pirelli's range were brought here, the super soft, ultra soft and hyper soft, in that order, from hardest to softest. Look forward to 2019, everybody. <laughs> uh, the problem is, of course, that it lacks grip. That's been a problem ever since Mexico arrived on the calendar because of the aerodynamics, but having softer tyres not necessarily compensate for that and what we saw everyone loaded up on hypersoft tyres brought very few super soft and ultra softs but the tyres were extremely brittle because they were sliding so much and we actually had this weird conundrum after Friday thinking that no one's going to be able to finish the race if they're only going to use hypersofts yeah it was very strange as you said they all went for I think a minimum of 8 sets of hypersofts mm-hmm. and uh, I think a couple of drivers they went for very very few sets of the supers and the ultras and uh, then I think come practice when the first hypersoft issues appeared I think a lot of teams were like oh right we've <laughs> not got enough sets of the other compounds so like for example uh, Toro Rosso they did no running at all with the super softs through mm-hmm. practice because they said we've got to save those for the race um, and as I'm sure we'll come on to that works out quite well for them um, but then other teams like well Mercedes for example they were in a position where after Hamilton's first pit stop he was complaining about his uh, his new uh, super soft saying look these really aren't working well mm-hmm. don't think I'm going to get to the end and Merck were like well that's all you've got the, <laughs> the, all that was left was a, a five five lap old set of ultra softs mm-hmm. um, that in the end he did take on and it, it, yeah it did cause a lot of issues and I think uh, yeah Pirelli it's uh, they I think they wanted to spice things up a bit and obviously yeah, the last few years it has been pretty obvious how strategy goes in Mexico mm-hmm. so they thought well if we go as soft as possible at least we'll get maybe two stops And mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think anyone quite foresaw the, the <laughs> issues that followed and uh, drivers saying that their hypersoft scene uh, on the Friday would only last sort of four or five laps and then just mm-hmm. start to drop off completely uh, and that's why it was really surprising that so many drivers actually managed to do a one stop race starting on the hypersofts as well mm-hmm. so we had this superb unknown situation going into the race because so many drivers as you said had 
had no experience on the super soft some didn't even really have much experience on ultra soft tires uh, which of course when you're planning a strategy there could be as many as two stops and obviously all teams want to try and do one stop given the pit stop time here is quite long because of the speed of the front straight created this this great unknown situation and everyone thought it was going to be really strategically interesting race which it was in some parts but to touch on red bull racing as well the flip side of the coin if mercedes struggled for all of those reasons red bull racing seemed to have essentially no problems for any of those same reasons we mentioned the engine power being chief amongst them but i guess this is just more reinforcement that red bull chassis is actually really very very good definitely yeah the rb14 car is it's fantastic and i think we we saw that this weekend we saw in uh in monaco earlier this year just how strong it can be when you need maximum downforce and that that shone through again here i mean they, they were untouchable all weekend tire issues they weren't really they, they weren't affecting red bull as severely as the other teams mm-hmm. um verstappen i think uh he only moved on to a two-stop really just to cover off vettel and make sure that there wasn't uh, a, any threat towards the end if there was a safety car um ricardo he he tried to do a one-stop and he would have made it like mm-hmm. towards the end of his uh, uh end of his race i think he his super softs had done something like 45 laps and he was still setting the fastest lap of the race in purple sectors mm-hmm. and he was uh, yeah very very quick so i mean it does show the red bull fundamentally have a very good race car um and yeah had it not been for i think a litany of reliability issues mm-hmm. then uh, they would probably have a, a lot more points to their name yeah absolutely and they were the two sides of that coin ferrari was somewhere in the middle they had superb straight line speed which we saw play out in the battle between ricardo and hamilton and then very briefly sebastian vettel who essentially breezed fast mm. both of them in the in a series of a couple of laps and also showed how even though the renault engine was quite competitive still couldn't really compete with the mercedes in terms of a straight line battle but if the front runner showed us anything and we're going to say that mercedes essentially was a bit of an, an exception here because they had such poor tire wear but the super soft tire amongst all of them was actually really quite a good race tire some drivers did almost the entire race bar about 10 or 11 laps on this tire uh, and it was the key as you said to max Verstappen's strategy being able to run a long one like that it must be extremely concerning for a team like mercedes to have to as you said hamilton couldn't even he didn't feel like he'd even be able to make them last the entire distance does it make you think this could be a, a longer term problem for mercedes um well i think the fortune for them is that we are two races away from the end of the season now mm-hmm. and that they they have one title secured the other one they got a pretty healthy buffer and i think it's it's just going to be another another regret that we have for this championship that through the middle part of the season ferrari didn't capitalize on more of its opportunities mm-hmm. because otherwise we'd have had this thrilling race to uh, i think spice up the title race and put another swing in vettel's favor and for the constructors championship it'd probably be quite close as well um but instead like we're, we're looking at this at ferrari they're just about clawing in there and just about um staying in the constructors fight but uh i think mercedes they'll look to next year's car and they'll say that the w09 what were the big weaknesses and i think on the softest compounds yeah that that was the big problem and uh, they got away with it at a, at a few races and obviously where uh, pirelli reduced the tread as well of the tires that did play into their favor mm-hmm. but um yeah here this weekend we saw i think i saw we saw the car and the team at its absolute weakest um they've got the same tire selection coming up for abu dhabi as well so that will i think be another another test for them um and yeah heading into next year they i mean the team never rests they never say mm-hmm. look this car is perfect let's just do the same again next year um they will i think be thinking that soft tire running that is absolutely what they need to focus on and uh, and improve the race was essentially decided by Max Verstappen getting a great start off the line compared to Daniel Ricciardo's extremely poor start. Ricciardo had a risk of dropping all the way to fourth or fifth at the first turn, managed to consolidate third, which became second because he was behind Hamilton who struggled so much on his super soft tyres. As you said, he could have run a one-stop, ultimately retired. That left Sebastian Vettel on his two-stop race behind him. Showed the two-stop race was actually fairly quick, as Pirelli said, 
but tyre management, if you could manage the tyres, a one-stop was certainly viable. Raikkonen was third, Hamilton was fourth and Bottas fifth, some way off the pace. Bottas even tried to run the Hypersoft at the very end of the race just because he could, I suppose. <laughs> Ended up a lap down as a result, though. But what's behind them is what I find is really quite interesting. And there was this fascinating strategy dichotomy that started on qualifying, well, really started in practice and played out during the race. And that was the battle for the head of the midfield, which so many times this season has proved to be almost the more interesting part. And that was, and I feel like it's really, really a Ted, I think it was in Singapore, wasn't it, or in Russia, where teams that qualified and drivers that qualified just outside the top 10 mm. and therefore had free tyre choice had a massive advantage over the midfield cars that qualified in the top 10 and were confined to starting on the softest tyre of the weekend. Force India took this so seriously that they essentially deliberately didn't attempt to make the top 10 shootout in qualifying because they thought it would be a huge tyre advantage for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. And I know Pirelli, um, sorry, Formula 1, they introduced this uh, new tyre rule where your Q2 tyre is your starting tyre to try and, uh, try and basically prevent teams from not going out in Q3. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, um, yeah, now we are seeing the other side of that. And as you rightly said, in Singapore, it was that the drivers who started 11th, 12th and 13th, they all got the jump and all moved up into mm-hmm. the points um, because avoiding the hypersoft tyre was that much of an advantage. Uh, Russia, teams tried it again. Renault deliberately didn't go out in Q2 yeah. because they could get 11th and 12th on the grid. Force India here, yeah, they, they decided let's go for um, an ultra soft run and that if we get into the top 10 on ultra soft's great because then we're on the better starting tyre but we'd rather miss out and not have to start on hypersofts which mm-hmm. is uh, a strange situation I asked Charlie Whiting about it after the race and said like is there a plan to fix this and he said I do want to take a wider look at tyres and he said even looking at the idea of practice sets where so you have wet tyres so people can actually do running in practice mm-hmm. for example and he said it all kind of comes in one one uh, blob and he said that would also tie in with the um, uh, proposed qualifying change as well with the mm-hmm. Q4 maybe so that I think is something he really wants to push for 2020 and that would be very good um, but uh, yeah it's a very weird situation I think that showed just how how scared teams were about this whole mm-hmm. hypersoft tyre how how they thought that it would last but a few laps they would have to pit they would come out right at the back and then they would essentially still be on the same strategy as everybody else just having lost track positions so mm-hmm. it was a very very weird situation but uh, yeah hopefully F1 and they can uh, can find a fix for the future it's an interesting question because it is one that has been addressed as you said for the last couple of rounds or, or last couple of months really because it does make Q2 ultimately is only the middle segment of qualifying so it's not the end of the world but makes Q2 a bit of a fizzer certainly Russia was a good example because a combination of penalties meant essentially nobody was in jeopardy in Q2 but this really speaks more at least in my opinion to the fact that we have that second class of Formula 1 doesn't it because if the front runners weren't so far away that it was irrelevant they were always going to qualify for Q2 then that tyre choice would actually be a genuine risk rather than a decision just not to participate wouldn't it because then you'd have all top 10 cars let's say at risk of not making it by running the the what we can say the prime tyre I mm. suppose like the harder tyre so it really just shows how all of these problems that people like to complain about in Formula 1 and for sure Formula 1 has problems but they are largely interrelated which speaks to why it's so difficult to fix any <laughs> yeah. one of them yeah definitely and I think it's, it's something that obviously Liberty and the F1 bosses have said we want to fix we want a more competitive order mm. for the future um, and, and and yeah it is it is crucial that they, they get to that point and hopefully we have have a more even playing field uh, but it would it would again fix this problem whereby if you had 10 drivers not not four basically mm-hmm. concerned are we going to drop out in q2 by uh by going for the the harder compound so yeah i i mean hopefully that that will that will help when they do do come mm-hmm. around to finding a fix and sort of evening out the field a little bit as well but yeah i think it is just evidence of just how far clear that the the front runners are and it's also the fact that even though they run a compound that might be say a second lap slower mm-hmm. they still finish all in the top six they yeah. don't even get close to worrying about are we going to drop out so it's uh yeah a very weird situation 
Mm. Now, this qualifying gamble of Force India's, and it should be, it's worth pointing out that Renault and um, Sauber both thought about it, they said, and decided the track position would probably be more more worthwhile in Mexico. Maybe they assumed that unlike in Singapore, where part of the problem was time management was so severe that the field was completely bunched up even by the time we got to around lap 10 or when the pit stop window was. Here, the problem wasn't quite so bad, so they had a point. We never really got to see it play out because Force India had a fairly disappointing weekend, I think it's fair to say. Almost had two retirements. Ocon in the end didn't retire. We thought he was going to, but he didn't. Um, Ocon essentially counted himself out almost immediately because there was a bit of a, a kerfuffle with, um, I think it was Carlos Sainz. One of the Renault cars, mm-hmm. in any case, uh, at the first lap forced him to pit pretty much immediately. Sergio Perez, though, is the interesting one because he was running uh, up until the mid-30s in terms of laps before he was forced to retire. Uh, disappointing for all the home fans, obviously. But he was was running behind Leclerc, who was behind Hulkenberg. Sainz also retired from this race, and Ericsson was further back. He was adamant, though, and I quote, could have finished at least seventh, which for some reason implies maybe he could have finished higher into the front runners. I don't know if he's just being overly optimistic. But it, it was very much in play, this strategy. But interestingly enough, as we've talked about, the Supersoft was such a backbone for strategy at the Mexican Grand Prix. He was ending his race with a fairly long stint on the Ultrasoft. He pitted on lap 30. Do you feel like that would have been long enough to make it past Hulkenberg, considering the Supersoft, as you said with Daniel Ricciardo, for example, seemed to just keep going, whereas the Ultrasoft did have a definite tyre line? Um, he moved from the Supersoft to the Ultrasoft, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think he, I think his idea of uh, finish at least seventh, I think it's very, very, very optimistic. <laughs> and even getting to the end of the race mm. without having to come in again is a, a real, really mm-hmm. very optimistic. And I think, uh, yeah, Force India probably looked at the battle with with Leclerc and thought, Let, let's bring him in and, and mm-hmm. make sure we don't lose any more time. And obviously, they're having a really, really close wheel-to-wheel battle. Mm. But in doing so, that would have compromised the strategy. I mean, yeah, going, what, 41 laps on, uh, on the yeah. Ultrasoft, that's a real, real big ask. I don't think anyone in the race uh, achieved that. So it's, it's, um, yeah, very optimistic, I think, what he said. And I think he was definitely in the running to pick up a good haul of points. Mm-hmm. He's always been in the points in Mexico until this year. So it would have been a, a good result, definitely. But, um, yeah, I think Fozzini maybe just need to just. Yeah, be a bit more realistic and think <laughs> that really, yeah, they could have they could have played that strategy a bit smarter. Obviously, mm-hmm. in the end, it, it didn't matter anyway. He had a brake failure, which forced him ret- to retire. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, very optimistic. Yeah, it's I think it was really telling, and this has been spoken about in the last couple of races when we talk about undercut, overcut, and that that specific few lap window uh, around the pit stop when the tyres are at their best. Worth noting, Perez they were used ultra soft. He switched onto <laughs> on lap thirty and did spend I think around five laps battling with Leclerc who was on Supersofts, already a couple of laps old. In fact, nearly 15 laps old at that point. We certainly would have taken the, the, the better part of the life out of those ultra-soft tyres. But also interesting to show that Leclerc clearly had the car to compete with the Force India this weekend, which I think certainly would have contributed to his final result. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's it's been very impressive to see what Sauber have done this year, how far they've come. Um, the result in Mexico lifted them up to eighth in the Constructors' Championship above Toro Rosso. Really good result there. Um, and yeah, again, they, they really did have the pace. And you've got to think that Leclerc and uh, Perez in a straight fight... Okay, you might say that Force India is a little bit faster mm. but Leclerc had the better tyre the fresher tyre it, it worked all in his favour so I think then you've got to revise it again and say well Perez realistically 8th was probably the best he could hope mm. for and then that's not accounting for a late stop anywhere or I don't know but it's uh, yeah 
yeah, I think Sauber really, really good shape this weekend. So Hulkenberg and Leclerc were the drivers that proved starting in the top 10 was the better strategy. Playing, playing with track position was the better strategy for the midfield. But it was interesting that a long second stint on the super soft as well did play into the hands of a couple of other drivers. Stoffel van Dorn, chief amongst them, finished eighth, his equal best result of the season. Much needed, I think. First points score since Azerbaijan, yes, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, just in time for him to move series. Uh, it's never too late, Stoffel. It's never too late. Uh, he came from um, way out of the points as McLaren's usual standard um, from qualifying uh, with a 12, la- a 12 lap stint on the ultra soft to start with then a long stint on the super soft did take advantage of a couple of things we'll talk about Haas momentarily that was one that gained virtually everybody two places towards the end of the race also the Williams were typically uncompetitive but uh, it showed that that long stint on the super soft really did pretty much circumvent all of the tyre concerns and allowed him to score some pretty good points yeah definitely um, and Sofal spoke after the race and he said how the tyre the sort of came back to him and the mm-hmm. all of the drivers okay they go through this graining phase and they go through oh they don't feel too great but as the stint wore on he was able to find a bit more time and slowly like work his way up the order and uh, he, he was really really strong towards the end very very mm. consistent and uh, made the tyres last which was an excellent excellent drive from him that I think really really needs to be pointed out and made clear that for all of the, the doom and gloom about McLaren this year and for all of the hype around Fernando Alonso's mm. departure um, Stoffel has actually he's not always been terrible like there have been points <laughs> this year where it's been maybe not great and yeah. you're like oh, come on but um, no in Mexico he was absolutely fantastic managed his mm-hmm. tyres perfectly um, and he didn't fall into the trap that so many others did going that these tyres are shot I need another mm-hmm. stop he remained confident he stuck with them nursed them well at the beginning of the stint and uh, yeah four richly deserved points that uh, I mean hopefully we can see a repeat of that in the coming races so we can have a good a good swan song in F1 the way the super softs degraded was a really key point and really key to all those drivers that ran a long stint towards the end because we hear about these these graining phases you sometimes hear um, engineers over team radios telling their drivers I think Hamilton was told that at one point mm. when he was complaining quite vociferously about degradation on his tyres the graining was by virtue of the fact that cars are sliding around so much there's not enough downforce generated but they managed to work through that pretty much all of the cars Daniel Ricciardo being a, a chief candidate for that likewise Kimi Raikkonen who didn't stop a second time uh, and, it, and it gripped up and sort of worked I guess that really underlined the fact that they were being told that during the race how little experience they had on these tyres on this circuit meant this was a race where everyone was sort of driving by the seat of their pants a little bit trying to figure it out as they went and it was an opportunity perhaps for the likes of a driver like Stoffel van Dorn to use that I don't know if instinct is necessarily too strong a word in this situation but that intuition that they might be able to get through that phase and be able to do quite well as a result definitely um, we've seen other races obviously they'll do a complete practice program have no tyre issues and uh, they can come back with all the data and say right this is how long these tyres are going to last and it matches up pretty much perfectly uh, but this race there wasn't any of that like it, it was that they didn't have the data for, for uh, the super softs over really long runs uh, uh, the softer compounds they were very very concerned by so they kind of were as you say just driving by the seat of their pants and sort of doing it on the fly and thinking how much further can we push it and push it and going into the unknown uh, and that really did I think bring out the best in drivers like Van Dorn um, and to his credit Marcus Ericsson did pretty much the same thing so it's like you've got to give a lot of credit where it's due um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that it's um, it's nice to see drivers not just working off what their engineers say and not yeah. saying yeah these tyres will be shot in this many laps you can have a drop off where they might maybe drop off by a couple of seconds and think oh okay this is a bit of a problem but just having that confidence to get the tyres back in the working range and uh, yeah deliver a result like the one that uh, Van Dorn scored. Marcus Ericsson finished ninth, uh, as you said he ran a, a longish st- stint on the Hypersoft tyre actually 16 laps to start the race 
which probably was a, a couple of laps too long, but he didn't really have the pace of Leclerc on that opening stint, which meant he was dropped into, into deeper traffic and as a result finished two places behind his teammate. Uh, but Pierre Gasly was the final point scorer. A really interesting race for Pierre Gasly because he started last with a whole bunch of um, power unit and gearbox penalties and started on the hypersoft tyre, which no one would have thought was correct mm. and arguably perhaps still was not correct because it didn't really contribute him to making up any ground in the race. But I was looking through my lap chart and pretty much right until the very end of the Grand Prix, he was last. He spent the whole race yeah. last. Yep. Did two stops unusually. Um, two, his te- second, two second stints were on the super soft tyre. But all of a sudden, at the very end of the race, it raised all, uh, rose all the way up to 10th place. And this was partly because his car was just more competitive than others. Didn't have to do too much overtaking. But it did show that the longer that Supersoft stint went on, the more advantage you got over to cars trying other strategies. And I suppose a good salvage job for, for Pierre Gasly and Toro Rosso. 100%. And uh, it's, we spoke after the race again. And I said, like, why, why start on the Hypersoft? What yeah. was that about? And I think the initial thinking was to get them out of the way early, drop mm-hmm. into clear air, and then have some good pace while others struggled towards the end of their Hypersoft stint. And uh, I think the virtual safety car kind of mm-hmm. uh, kiboshed that plan. But then, uh, yeah, as you say, he was running last for pretty much most of the race. But um, the, when he fitted the the, the super soft, I think his final stint it, at the beginning of the stint, he really didn't push. He was taking it so 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 mm-hmm. easy. And he said, like inside, he was it was really working against him. He's like, I know I can go so much faster and so much faster. But compared to seeing what the uh, other drivers were doing, uh, Toro Rosso was saying to him, look, just just go easy to begin with, mm-hmm. because then at the end of the stint, you'll find big big rewards. And that's what he did. As we saw the drop off of, of times for other drivers and. Late pit stops. Uh, Gasly's tyres were still in very, very good nick. He was able to push. Uh, I think one of his great qualities this year has been his tyre management. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, that came into play as well, and that meant towards the end of the race that yeah, he was able to to fight with the likes of uh, Brendan Hartley, his teammate, and Esteban Ocon as well, his old casting rival, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, eventually score that final point for P10. So uh, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of good fortune involved in that point. But I think also uh, credit where it's due for really good tyre management from Pierre, and uh, yeah, good now from Toro Rosso to say to him look just just keep it easy for now mm-hmm. because you'll you'll have bigger gains later on to really um, verbalise how it is that he made up all those positions he won two and we'll talk about Haas in just a moment not that there's that much to talk about Haas to be honest uh, but Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen uh, made their pit stops late he passed them by virtue of the pit stops then passed both Williams cars because the Williams cars were at the back up until then they also finished ahead of the Haas cars worth saying uh, and then passed Hartley Hartley was allowed to, to let him go because he had a five second penalty for a skirmish with Ocon and then got past Ocon who was on those aging ultra soft tyres that again Perez would have been on towards the end granted that Ocon had dropped back so early in the race with damage so he was sort of out of position and then found himself in 10th place so it sort of worked out for him it did rely on that tyre management as you said uh, but yeah very rapid climb up the order uh, for Pierre Gasly but to, to close this perhaps with the most disappointing of notes Hearts um real shocking race for them there's not really too many words you can give for them they've had a very good season generally mm. usually we complain about their operational errors this time both eliminated in Q1 which is the way that it is in Mexico for Haas tried a contra strategy got them absolutely nowhere and they finished dead last in the race yeah it's bizarre and this fight against Renault in the Constructors' Championship it was uh, I think uh, Monza looking oh so close and obviously we had Grosjean's disqualification and even then you're kind of thinking well Haas they've got the quicker car so they should be in better shape um, but then like in recent races they really dipped off and then this was a real real low point of the season I think and uh, in Monaco they had a weekend where they were 
again painfully slow mm -hmm. and they had no idea why and they said look we're really clueless as to what the issue is um, and then here in Mexico the same thing again look you look at the maximum downforce and maybe the, the VF18 it just doesn't really work as well when it gets into the into the higher downforce tracks and uh, yeah a, bit, a big big uh, shame for them and yeah I mean both Grosjean and Magnussen they tried a long first on the super softs that was it was okay it wasn't mm -hmm. too bad but then the moment they put the ultra softs on the, they just chewed them up immediately and mm -hmm. so much so that Grosjean had to make a, a third pit stop later on um, so it was uh, yeah it was it's, it's very it's very weird like mm -hmm. this fight against Renault has been I think one of the big talking points of the season it's been really exciting this midfield battle and I think we were hoping that we go to Abu Dhabi with like a couple of points between them and the status of being best of the rest and obviously all the constructors prize money that comes with it mm -hmm. um, that would all that would all be up for grabs but now it's a 30 point gap with uh, two races to go and that's a lot for Haas to make up given that I think it's four of the last six races they've scored no points at all mm -hmm. so uh, I know they keep saying that they're sort of waiting for this magic bullet and this one good result like Austria where they got fourth and fifth yep. but the more the season goes on the more unlikely that's looking and uh, the stronger Renault are looking in their position so yeah a real weekend to forget for Haas yeah and it is worth emphasising uh, the flip side of that is that Renault have had two really good weekends they've mm. performed extremely strongly they said they made some operational changes in the United States that seems to have done extremely well for them they probably would have finished um, as, let's say essentially class B 1-2 behind the front mm. runners had science not retired uh, so it seems to be really going in opposite directions for them late in the season yeah and it's strange like because we saw I think at the start of the year that Renault they were they looked decent but it wasn't it wasn't anything outstanding mm. really whereas Haas from day one in Australia wow they really really got yeah. the pace and I think Haas yeah they're going to look back on the double DNF in Australia um, other events through the season and say oh well that's where we lost some points but the more the year's wearing on the more you can't really attribute it to one or two little mistakes that will cost them fourth in the constructors mm -hmm. it is I think and I think we saw in Mexico a fundamental lack of pace a lack of understanding maybe of how the car works at the maximum downforce tracks um, and I think that yeah they, they really need to for next season hopefully get on top of that but the only drawback is you've got to wonder how much they've put into this development battle against mm -hmm. Renault and whether they've sort of gone too far down the rabbit hole this year so that next year they're going to be thinking well we've got a new sponsor but the car <laughs> not so sure something we won't mention any further on this program is the sponsor that was the Mexican Grand Prix there were a lot of unknowns it was an interesting race but at the end of the day the only story that mattered was Lewis Hamilton winning his fifth world championship and it's been a pleasure to talk about it with you Luke thank you Michael that was Luke Smith from Crash.net the Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode by subscribing on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. We're also now on Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. And you can leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Aminato. You can find me at Michael Aminato on Twitter and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Brazilian Grand Prix.